Bobcat. Nick Harold is a rescue partner, and Joshua Johnson. I'm here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bowl, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. Top 10 list to make, wouldn't it? The top 10 cheesiest Ronnie James Dio songs. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, the possibility. But anyway, um, we're here on the Dynasty Pulse podcast. We were gone last week, uh, but we made up for it with an extra podcast. Yesterday, we had a rookie extravaganza show starring uh, Mr. Burgundy himself, Dynasty Dan Hines, who coincidentally be joining us in about nine minutes talk about something we talked about yesterday, as a matter of fact. Um, we'll also be joined by Doug Moore of Rasball as we talk about the New England Patriots, as this show is our AFC East edition. Uh, we're also going to be joined by uh, a good friend of ours over at truelovesports.com. His name is Paul Esden, Jr. Uh, he is going to talk about the Jets. The man is crazy, crazy about his Jets, and uh, just a solid dude. So we're going to have a little fun with Paul. And I uh, look forward to having that. Look forward to having him on later um, as we talk here about the NFC East. So we'll obviously talk about the Dolphins and uh, the Bills as well. Just a few things that we do here for you at uh, DFW. We break down all kinds of top rookie prospects as we did yesterday. We gave you our top ten quarterbacks, wide receivers, um, excuse me, top five quarterbacks, top ten wide receivers, top ten running backs, and top three tight ends as it worked out. And we also gave. Uh, uh, Bruce Kimball also came on, Mr. Fat Cat himself, and gave us his dirty I, I dirty dozen for the IDPers in this year's draft. Um, if you want to check out that show, just go to just go to our blog talk feed. Um, you can also find an article on it on Dynasty Football Warehouse from yesterday. Uh, we had a lot of fun, two solid hours, and we actually didn't fully get to the wide receivers. So, uh, rumor has it, me and uh, me and Mr. Bill Servey. Excuse me, Sir Bill Servey are going to do kind of a wide receiver showcase show uh, next Tuesday, so we can do them justice. Because again, this is just a phenomenal wide receiver class. So, but this off season, we've been breaking down a lot of top prospects, give you expert insight with uh, potential long term value. We had a great article about Paul Dawson posted by Tom Bradbury and Sean Kirby this week. Um, we also did a few dynasty spotlights, which we've been doing. We did both Cleveland running backs today, and Isaiah Crowell and Terrence West. Um, we knew we have a Le'Veon Bell one coming up as well as a uh, Derek Carr one coming up by me. Uh, we also have a great uh, film cut-up room with uh, top prospects where you can just look at them all in one convenient place. Just 
just some great plays that we that really caught our eyes. I think that they can project really well. Um, our monthly rankings are up. Uh, we're going to talk about those a little bit later too. We're trying to get you an edge on your startup drafts and whatnot, and uh, some trade decisions as well. You can also look into our forums as we uh, are very active in our forums, and uh, we we can hopefully answer your questions. We answer some questions here on the show as well. Um, our our, we have a nice mock draft database, too, where we, we're always updating our ADP, so we're going to talk about that as well today. But uh, just a lot, of, a lot of stuff we're doing here for you. And coming up this weekend, too, we have a, a writer's mock draft. Uh, 12, 12 of us, us here at DFW did a, did a four-round mock draft of just rookies, and we're going to do, give you a synopsis on every one of our, our picks there. Posting uh, round one should be on Saturday, and that's uh, – that's brought to you by Dynasty Dan, who's going to be doing this here now in six minutes. Uh, but Nick, why don't we uh, why don't we look at um, our Dynasty uh, Dynasty trade analysis here for starters? Uh, these are trades that we've seen happen here in DFW 48 and uh, DFW 36. If you have a question um, about our Dynasty trade, just uh, you need to hit me up on Twitter, sign in on our forums, and we can get you answers probably almost immediately there, and we'll actually try to get you uh, get to talk about it on the show as well. So. Uh, make sure you please do that. Um, first pick, first trade here, Nick, in Dynasty 48. Uh, somebody traded Brandon Cooks and a, a 1.4 and a 2.6 from this year for Randall Cobb for a 2016 first-round pick and the 2016 second-round pick. So a first and second-round pick this year for Brandon Cooks. Uh, or excuse me, Brandon Cooks and a first and second-round pick this year for Randall Cobb and a first and second-round pick next year what are your thoughts there um well it's fairly even you know Cobb and Cooks are fairly similar receivers you know both smaller uh kind of slot guys but I personally like the side that got Randall Cobb just for the reason that uh Brandon Cooks' future is a little less certain with uh Drew Brees getting up there in years whereas you know that Randall Cobb and Aaron Rodgers are going to be together for probably a lot longer than Brandon Cooks and Drew Brees so I like the side that got Cobb yep and uh the guy that uh Gave up Cooks is also getting a couple picks for the future, so you know maybe maybe we're in a little bit of a a rebuild mode. But uh, yeah, I think it's a fairly even trade. You know, depending on what the Saints get this year at at the other receiver position, if they if they choose to address that, you know, Cooks is still a quality player. We saw him just annihilate people at Oregon State, and I think he's going to. You know, it's too bad his rookie season was cut short because he was having a fairly productive rookie season. I think he kind of got lost in the shuffle because he missed missed half the season with a with a bad wrist, but uh, with a broke I think a broken wrist sheath actually. But he should be fully recovered and ready to go for that. Um, these guys are both still young. I think Cobb's like 24 years old, maybe he's 25 now, but still both very young players. So a lot of a lot of future for both of these receivers ahead there. So fairly fairly even trade. Let's move on to another one here. Uh, Oh, I'm so glad this is one's in here because I, I, I wasn't involved in this trade. I'm not even in this league, but I got some, I got some thoughts about Alfred Morris, and maybe we could, maybe you could help me clear him up, Mr. Redskin Sandick. But anyway, uh, somebody gave up Lamar Miller and received Alfred Morris and Julius Thomas in return. What are your thoughts there, Nick? Well, this is one of those trades that could go either way. It really hinges, I think, on what Julius Thomas ends up being up in Jacksonville. Uh, if he can duplicate the double-digit scores he had in Denver uh, with the Jaguars, then this would be obviously a win for the side that acquired the two players. But just for right now, I actually like the side that got Lamar Miller. Uh, I think Alfred Morris's physical running style could kind of make him ha- have a shorter 
shorter career than uh, might might otherwise be. And uh, Lamar Miller really impressed me last year. 5.1 yards per carry. I think he really broke out, and I think he's going to be a stud running back for the next few years, actually. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I have this loyalty to you, Nick, as a Redskins fan, but I, I, I just I'm a little offended by kind of the lack of love I've seen for Alfred Morris this off season in Mox and kind of some rankings. We'll get to a little bit more of that later and uh, possibly next week too when we talk about the AFC East division. Um, I do want to remind everybody to stop in next week for that. We have a couple of good friends coming coming on for that one, Luis Torado Jr. from gmanhq.com. Um, and uh, Mr. Mark T. Wilson, the CEO of TrueLoveSports.com. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of cool people out here in this business, but uh, there is not a better person, as far as I'm concerned, than Mark T. Wilson. Uh, great, great dude, and uh, talks about his Eagles, and he's an Eagles fan living in the heart of New York City. Uh, it should be pretty entertaining. He's he's a, he's a good dude and a good good friend of ours. Uh, speaking of good people, I got Dynasty Dan on the phone here. Let's patch him through. Dan, are you there? Hey, guys. How are we doing? Good. How are you doing today, sir? Good, man. Good, good, good. You, you know, not prepping I, for a two-hour information overload <laughs> podcast, so I get to just call this time. <laughs> yeah. Have you fully recovered from yesterday? Did you get some sleep? Did you get some red wine in you? Honestly, everything was just a blur, so I'm not, uh, mm-hmm. I haven't even had a chance to go back and listen to the show yet. So I've heard. I mean, I heard we got a lot in. It was, uh, yeah. it was, uh, it was a, a sprint, not a marathon. Um, so, but uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm excited to go back and look. Uh, listen, you definitely did your homework. It was great hearing your thoughts on players, and nice to get some contrarian viewpoints on a, a couple of you know perceived favorites at certain positions. So if you guys want to. You know, I encourage everybody to check that out. Mm-hmm. So we can maybe try to screw each other in the in the in the draft this summer, basically for DFW thirty six. <laughs> I think it'll we'll be okay as long as you keep as long as you keep being wrong about Winston and uh, Gurley. Uh, we'll be just fine. You can have your guys all at mine. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I well, I need help in a lot of areas and a lot of dynasty drafts. So we'll, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I'm hoping to get some more yeah. picks in DFW 36. So if anybody out there is listening, send me some trade offers. But anyway, I, I do want to say thank you again for yesterday, Dan. I, I had a whole lot of fun and uh, look forward to Good. forward to doing more of that and breaking down these guys after they actually get a team too. That's going to be that's going to be really fun. We can open up some NFL yeah, playbooks sure. and see what we can find. So, but anyway, we haven't been having Dan join us here for the last couple of weeks to kind of. Talk about a prospect that you may not know about, and we got a quarterback on on the stand today. So, what do you got for us? Well, um, yeah, we're doing quarterback today, and uh, you know this class is kind of getting a bad rap. Um, not that it's not deservedly so. Um, I mean, there are only 32 starting positions in the NFL. Uh, there is that little tidbit and you know about half of those are competent quarterbacks that we don't mind having on our roster and the other half are guys we're stuck with for whatever reason so you know we have to give the quarterbacks a little break I mean they they are the most important guy on the field and 
they have a lot to manage, and it takes a lot to be, you know, truly elite, not only from winning games, but also from winning fantasy matchups and putting up gaudy stats. And so trying to find the next one is a difficult deal. And right now it's a two-horse race. Um, there's some people who are a little bigger on uh, on Hunley than a lot of us. Um, I'm not about to even get close to lumping him into the same category as Winston or, or Mariota in terms of fantasy relevance, at least. Um, I think after after Mariota and after Winston, you're looking at a bunch of developmental guys. Uh, some are further along than others, in my opinion. One guy that uh, we talked about on the pod yesterday that we all seem to like, he was in our top all of our top fives, which actually surprised me a lot and also gave me hope. Um, Bill mentioned that I believe Mayock just bumped him up uh, quite substantially. I don't know if that's just because he was getting around to watching him or if he's buying into the hype somewhere, somehow. But um, I just go based on what I see. And the one kid who jumped from four to three and has actually replaced Hunley at number three for me, at least he will by the end of the month officially, but he has changed officially off the record for me, and that is uh, Garrett Grayson of Colorado State University. Um, you know, I had a chance to go through all of his tapes again uh, before the show here and really get my thoughts a little more organized on this kid about what exactly it is I like about him. Um, there, the pros of Grayson are the number one thing that stands out for me above all else is his pocket awareness. Uh, he's a very, very subtle, smooth pocket operator. Um, he looks a lot bigger than he is. One of his neutral points, I don't think it's necessarily a pro, I don't think it's necessarily a con, is he's about 6'2", 215. He's not a big guy by any means. He's definitely not uh, prototypical, but we're also not talking about a Drew Brees 5'11", Russell Wilson type frame as well. Uh, one of the things that I noticed is he does get a ton of batted balls. That is a negative, um, which I think adds to two other two other points. One I just mentioned, he's not a super tall guy. Uh, the the second one is is he stares down his his receivers too much. Um, any quarterback coach is going to look at this kid and say, all right you got to start baiting your corners a little bit. you got to start looking off your safeties, things like that. And he, if you watch this tape, he does this. He knows how to do it. It's clear he does. There's many, many good instances where he does do that. But his habitual routine is to see the good read and stare it down. Um, the good news is, is he sees the good read. The bad news is almost every time. The bad news is, is in the NFL, those safeties and corners are going to close a lot faster than a Wyoming DB, you know. So, yeah, you know, so so you can't, you know, this is all the speculation. This is the fun part, trying to figure out if he can get away with that on the next level or if he will be able to master that art and get a little more polished in that regard. Um, uh, other things that I really, really like about him, his arm strength is well above average. I firmly believe he can make any throw in the NFL. I think he compares maybe not quite on the arm strength level of a Zach Mettenberger, but definitely in the ability to get the ball everywhere he needs to get it. And by everywhere, I mean nice, subtle dump-offs, nice little screens, floaters down the line on a double move, 
uh, just a solid frozen rope 30-yard burner over the middle of the field. Um, he's got everything, and he's very accurate about it. Uh, I went through specifically looking for accuracy. Um, the guy completed 65% of his passes. Uh, you can see many instances of drop balls other than his one go-to receiver who, of course, I'm going to blank on, but I'll probably remember by the end of the uh, podcast Richard here. Richard Higgins. Huh? Yeah, Higgins, exactly. Higgins. Yeah, he's a burner. Um, definitely uh, a playmaker in that conference, no question about it. Uh, he also had another little playmaker, kind of a running back, receiving threat, number 25, I forget his name too. But um, he had a few nice offensive weapons, but he was um, he's accurate, he's precise, he's deliberate, uh, he sees the field, he sees the read. Uh, one of the negatives that is also going to be on this guy, a significant negative for me, is the the shotgun operation. 100% out of shotgun. Didn't see him take one, three, four, you know, didn't see him take one snap under center. Uh, that's going to have to change in the NFL. I don't know one offensive system that has you in shotgun, basically, I mean, literally 100% of the time. Um, if anyone can show me an example of this guy taking it under center, it'll be interesting to see if he's capable of it, how much how much practice he has, actually turning his back to a defense and have that type of confidence. Uh, so it'll that a landing spot offensive scheme will play a huge role in terms of how much he's asked to do that. Um, arm angles, really, really creative. And when I, I mean, this kind of lends to the all throws. He can do it side-armed, you know, slant-armed, overhead, uh, on the run. Uh, really good, really, really good at arm angles. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that he's 6'2", and at least good for two or three batted balls a game, maybe more. So I think he has to be creative in terms of getting that ball into the right throwing lane and getting it out of his hands. Um, for me, he's the perfect blend of confidence and conservative. And what I mean by that is you want a guy who isn't afraid to make the throw, who has the confidence to make every single throw. What you don't necessarily want is Jay Cutler, right, who actually throws it, right? So, yeah. you know, to me, I think he's going to appeal to a lot of offensive coordinators uh, when you see this guy, how smart he is in terms of actually understanding where the play is, what his options are, uh, it, it lends to his pocket awareness as well. He's just always aware of what's going on. So you see him, he never he never lunges forward. It's always out of bounds. He's either throwing the ball out of bounds or he's running out of bounds. He's, he's, the only time he takes a really negative play is if he gets hit, if he gets sacked. Their offensive line was all right at best, wasn't great, had a nice blend of run and pass. So that tells me the offensive line wasn't as great. I could see if they were like 70-30, you know, pass to run that they might be able to key in on him a little bit. But, I mean, they were almost 50-50 across the board run to pass ratio in 2014. So they had a nice blend. The guy put up 4,000 yards, 32 touchdowns, seven interceptions, 65% completion percentage, but he looks the part. He's got complete control of the offense. And, uh, you know, for me, for me, he may not have – the prototypical physical tools like a Hunley or a um, uh, help me out, Jeff. Um, Petty, Mannion? you know, 
Oh, yeah. Steady. Yeah, you know, someone like that where where you'd like to see a little, you know, meat on the bones, a couple more inches. But uh, he's just got that, he's got that feel for it. I think he could be a really nice, I think he could be a nice starter. I don't think he's going to actually wow anybody. I think that's a real long shot. But I could see, you know, a second-tier game manager, Alex Smith-type role for this guy in a couple years if he gets an opportunity. Uh, I think he's smart, and I think he could fill that void. I don't think you're going to get much more out of this class after those two. So if you are looking at somebody with a little more upside, I'd be surprised if Garrett Grayson isn't one of the top three or four quarterbacks off the board based on what I would value if I was an offensive coordinator looking for a quarterback. So I think I think it was maybe you, possibly Bill, I guess it would have been one of you two, mentioned as a, uh, New Orleans is a possible landing site for him if he could stay there a couple of years back up Drew Brees. And I think that would be an, an excellent system for him to uh, for him to learn yep, and I, learn in, especially under Brees. Yeah, he's he's uh, that was me. Um, I think I compared him a little bit to a Jimmy Garoppolo, only in that capacity. I mean, they have two very different styles of play. Jimmy Garoppolo is a true master of an offense, and by true master, I mean we're talking Peyton Manning level master of an offense based on what he did. Uh, was it Northern Illinois? Is it? I can't remember. Yes. Northern yeah. Illinois, yeah. Yeah, Northern Illinois. It was a true, true master of that offense. And, I mean, was the offensive coordinator of that team on the field, which is what you hear about Manning so often. So I don't think he's on that level yet. But in terms of a guy who needs a little time to learn the system so he can master it, at least on the level where the play gets in, he knows exactly where the right reads are going to be. I think he's definitely – going to be one of the top ones in this class. I would put him above Mariota and Winston in terms of actually understanding the offense that he was in and the defense. And he did play a lot of corner and DV in high school. So, you know, maybe that played into it a little bit. I don't know, you know, but it is a different perspective that could have, you know, definitely add itself to a little quarterback play. So that's what I got. Any questions there for Dan? Well, I know he only played two years there at uh, Colorado State, and I was wondering, do you know, was there much improvement from uh, his junior to his senior year, or did he pretty much look like the same player both years? He he definitely improved his uh, – he was he got hurt his sophomore year. I think he only played in maybe six or nine games, something like that. So he actually did play in three years. But he, he was only – he was named the starter his sophomore year. Um, but injury derailed that one a little bit. The last two years, he hasn't missed a game. 13 games last year, 14 the year before. I think he had 23 TDs, like 30, mid 3,000 yards. Is uh, This is just off the top of my head, is his uh, junior year. A few more interceptions. So you saw some nice progression. You saw, you know, your typical 23, 12, and 3,500 bounce to 4,000, 32, and 7. You know, so there's some clear, clear improvement in terms of that. Um, but like I said, it wasn't as a high-flying offense. That's why I try not to read too much into stats. Um, I mentioned that on the show yesterday as well. It's just they're so overrated based on team, conference, 
there's so much there's so much wide variety of competition even within the top conferences that those stats just get so skewed sometimes. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I didn't get to really see 2013 footage, so I can't really compare what I saw. Statistically, he improved. Okay. All right. Um. So, as far as uh, other other landing spots, is there any any anywhere else? Like, I mean, you said a lot of a lot of people could be intrigued by him. Uh, what about like some absolutely that need a need a quarterback? I mean, let's say the Jets well, don't, you know, the Jets miss out on you know the top two and Hundley. Is he is this guy a third round possibility for them? I think he's the third round possibility for the right court. I I think that might be a stretch on all these guys. Um, I could see someone getting overly excited about Hunley and taking him in the third, maybe Grayson later in the third. I'd like to see Grayson go ahead of Hunley personally. I know I would take him uh, uh, for what it's worth. Um, I think the smart move for a guy like Grayson is somebody, is a team that already has a solid to decent quarterback option in place. If you're looking at like, uh, like New York, who I would argue does not have a solid or decent option in place, right? This is not the guy I want. I either want one of the top two guys in the draft or I'm going to sit back and wait until the value falls to me and just grab a developmental guy. Uh, there's plenty of those guys in this draft. Or I'm going to look and see if there's any other options via trade. If I'm a team like Cincinnati, if I'm a team like Kansas City, if I'm a team like San Francisco – who has a quarterback who is functioning, has shown they can win, has shown at least some level of improvement, but has struggled in other aspects of getting your team over the hump or has stalled out recently in his development, uh, like Kaepernick, um, then I think you're, you know, you could see value a little earlier in a guy like Conley or a guy like Grayson where you could say, all right, this guy could, you know, by the end of the year, if things aren't clicking right, this guy could be put in, and uh, we're going to put a little pressure, um, something like that. I think that would be more along the lines of my thinking, but crazy shit happens. Who knows? <laughs> okay. Any other questions there, Nick? Well, you know, I love the, the fact that he was given the opportunity in college to call audibles in the line of scrimmage. A lot of quarterbacks don't have that type of freedom. And that makes me think he's maybe a little more polished than people give him credit for. Do you think the only reason that he's not considered polished is because he didn't line up under center and played strictly from the shotgun, like you said? Yeah, I mean, I'd have to do a little digging. I don't know who's necessarily calling him unpolished at all. I don't know if you have any, you know... I would not call him unpolished. Um, I think I think he gets a lot. I, I, at first, I think the biggest knock is the conference he played in. If this guy was playing on NBC or CBS or ABC every single Sunday, he'd be mentioned with the best of them right now, in my opinion. Um, the fact that he was playing against Nevada and Wyoming and San Jose State, you get a knock on him. Um, personally, he does look polished. I agree with you 100%. If you're talking about the quarterbacks in this class, I don't see a more polished quarterback than this guy. I think lining up under center is for what he was asked to do, right? Calling audibles out of the shotgun or under center doesn't, doesn't matter to me. You know, I'd rather I, – I'm just trying to see if the guy understands the defense and understands what he's doing and if he's making the right changes. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see what system he gets drafted into. There's a lot of shotgun in the NFL. He's probably going to line up out of shotgun 50, 60% of the time, but he's going to be forced to line up under center. And we just don't have any indication of what he can do. Uh, if he has that technique, if it's going to throw him off by not being able to stare down the defense, you know, from that distance, from behind the line a little bit, um, and then be able to pick up his reads after dropping back and, and turning around and, you know, is he going to be as precise and as, uh, you know, as effective as he is staring him down from the shotgun position? So it's, you know, I, yeah, it's a good question, Nick. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely am getting a little more man crush on this guy the more I watch him. If you want to see his fatal flaws, <laughs> Uh, you can go and watch, I believe it's the Utah game. Yeah, it's Utah. Utah was ranked 22nd at the time. They are clearly the better team on the field. Uh, and you can see how – you can see all of um, uh, Grayson's weaknesses come out in that game. You can see him get rattled in the pocket. That's one thing I didn't mention. Uh, he has amazing pocket awareness. But if you get to him, those corresponding two, three, four plays afterwards – that awareness and that awesome shift, I'll call it shiftability, uh, that, you know, that sidestep that Manning and Brady do so amazingly well. Uh, you just, you know, they're so immobile that they've developed this ability to just kind of slide six inches to the left and just dodge that, dodge that defender. And they know they have the eyes in the back of their head. They know when they can step back. I, I just wonder how they can do that sometimes. He has that ability. But this kid will get the happy feet after getting a sack. Uh, it seems like when they get behind and he had to pass a lot and defenses could key in, that's where you could see the offensive line really sucking. And uh, and at that point, you can see some of the things break down. And uh, so that's a good one to go watch if you want to kind of come back down to earth on Grayson a little bit. But the rest of them are pretty impressive. Okay. Well, Dan, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, look forward you to bet. see what you got for us next week, and uh, we'll be in touch, I'm sure. All right, guys. Have a great rest of the show. Yep. Take care, Dan. Bye. Okay. We will now move right to uh, Doug Moore of Raz Ball as we talk about his New England Patriots. Doug, are you there? I am. How are you guys? Good. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day here, and uh, enjoying the weather. I'm out for the day now, uh, but I'm here to talk to Patriots. Um, I think that's a good day, and I'm glad to be here. Cool. Well, thank, thank you for joining us. Again, it's uh, Doug Moore from Raz Ball, and you're listening to the Dynasty Pulse podcast with uh, Nick Wagner and Joshua Johnson. Uh, so, your Patriots. Uh, we've got we've got some questions for you here um, as we dive into the AFC East this week. Is Jimmy Garoppolo the future? I know we just had Dan on the phone, and he's a huge Garoppolo fan. Thinks he is is going to be a future stud at quarterback. Is he the future there in New England? You know, it's it's hard to to sort of pin that right now. You know, for a long time in New England, everybody thought that Ryan Mallett was going to be the heir apparent to Tom Brady when he retired. Um, you know, we don't see 
you know, we we don't see a lot of, of high draft picks when it comes to quarterbacks for, for Bill Belichick. I think the last first-round pick he used was on Rohan Davey. Um, and, you know, he took Jimmy Garoppolo last year in the second round. Nobody expected it to happen. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo was going to get picked in the second if, if uh, the Patriots hadn't. Um but, you know, he, he in the limited sample size we've seen him, and granted this has been in preseason, this has been in, in blowout games one way or another, um, he hasn't looked that bad. You know, they're, you know, arguably last year was one of the weaker, I guess you could say, draft classes for quarterbacks. Um, but he could definitely be someone that can be a solid NFL starter. Uh, am I calling him the next Aaron Rodgers, you know, sitting behind a future Hall of Famer for a few years? No. Um but do I believe he is the shoe-in right now for, you know, the quarterback position when Brady does retire? I would say yes. Um, he's going to keep learning. He's going to keep maturing. He's going to learn under one of the best of all time. And uh, I think he has a bright future. I'm not sure I call him, a, you know, a future star, but I think he could be above average, and he has a very high ceiling. Mm-hmm. And he's also really handsome, just like just like Brady. So, I mean, you got, you got yourself a pair of handsome quarterbacks there, don't you think? <laughs> I don't judge. Okay, all right. Now, Nick, any questions there in Garoppolo? Um, well, before he can play, Tom Brady has to retire. What's your gut tell you on how how many years uh, Brady's got left? Oh, jeez. I mean, I think I think uh, Peyton will retire before Brady. Um, I would probably say it, my gut tells me. You know, my gut tells me three years, but my heart hopefully tells me four. And, um, you know, I really think he's been able to produce at a very high level. Um, You know, even this past year, he had a few off games, you know, especially early on when we saw, you know, the whole team struggle. And that's when he struggled as well. But he really turned it on late, and, you know, he led them to a Super Bowl. Do I think he was a Super Bowl MVP? No, but that's a different story. Um I think he can continue to play an elite level. Um, he brings so much to the table in terms of not just uh, what a quarterback does, but also as a leader. And he's been able to, you know, he's he stayed healthy. You know, we haven't seen him, you know, miss any games. And um, I think it's a coup to his, his, his toughness. Um, besides the ACL tear, we really haven't seen him miss much. Um, I, I could definitely see him for another three, four years there. Um, hopefully – you know, the four rather than three. But I think he's still got a few more years in him where he could still play at an elite level. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. I wouldn't, if, I would not be surprised if the Patriots would go to back-to-back and win another Super Bowl if he just decided to hang it up. I mean, I, that's just, that's just my gut feeling, but I, I also wouldn't be surprised if he maybe stick it to Peyton Manning and stick her on one more year, just longer than he did. I don't know. I know Tom Brady probably doesn't really view him as necessarily competition, but there's obviously the rivalry there too. So. Yeah, there's there's clearly a rivalry there. You know, they both came into the league within a few years of each other, and uh, both have had tremendous success. You know, Brady's won an MVP and and he's won four Super Bowls, and Peyton's won one Super Bowl. And I think he's won, uh, I think he's won what five MVPs or four? I can't remember, but um. It's just they've both been competing at a high level. I think health-wise, Peyton's at a bigger risk. 
you know, he's got that nagging neck injury that not neck injury, but he's had it repaired. And, you know, it, it's a, it's not exactly a, a testament to his health when he has to get it checked every year before he's given the okay to play again. Um, I just think that Brady, you know, will stick around longer. I think he's in better shape. Um, and I, I wouldn't say you're wrong if they go back to back and they win a fifth Super Bowl. Um, that he could retire, he could, but I don't see that happening. He's not the type of guy who's gonna. I don't know. I, I think he'll go for as many as he can, and when he realizes he can't play anymore, he'll he'll stop. So I don't think five is just enough for him, and hopefully it's not. Okay. Well, it's not no secret that uh, as far as fantasy owners, Bill Belichick is uh, is uh, in his running backs really likes to keep us on edge. So it's not like we're looking to maybe replace Shane Vereen. It's not like, you know, they view him as irreplaceable. I think anybody is replaceable in that offense. But uh, is is there is there a plan for somebody in a short passing game like Vereen? I know we saw Vereen disappear at times last year, but I think we also saw in the Super Bowl what he can do and how he can make that offense move just by doing his, his thing in the short pass. Is there you think there's a plan in place to replace that part of the game? I think that they were embracing Ridley and Vereen leaving last season. I believe that they started playing for this ahead of time. That's why you saw James White be picked in the fourth round um, out of Wisconsin, I believe. Um, I, I see him taking a bigger role in this offense um, after, you know, sitting in the, you know, you know, even being active, inactive a few games, you know, you saw early on it was Stephen Ridley, it was Shane Vereen, and then when LeGarrette Blunt came in, and then Jonas Gray had an outbreak, and then Brandon Bolden even had a good game. So it, 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 you did make a good point. Bill Belichick is very hard to deal with when it comes to fantasy football running backs. Um, I would say James White is in place to take up the bulk of or at least try to take out the bulk of what they're going to miss from uh, Shane Vereen. I also think uh, Travis uh, Travaris Cadet, um, who was signed this off season from the Saints, I could expect him to get some of the some of the I guess the the targets and the catches that um, they're going to miss from uh, Shane Vereen. Um, you know, Cadet was mostly a passing down back. Not really used that much in New Orleans, um, but I could see him picking it up. Um, do I think that they'll pick a running back? Yeah. I, I don't think there's a team that shouldn't pick a running back in this draft. It's so it's so dense and it's very loaded that um, I think it, you could get a lot of value in the late rounds. But I would say primarily until we see what happens in the draft, I would see a combination of uh, James White and, and Travaris uh, Cadet uh, picking up the flack for Shane Vereen. Okay. A murky situation seems murkier, I guess. We'll see. <laughs> uh, yeah. Nick, any thoughts there? Well, yeah, I mean, it's an impossible situation to predict New England backfield season to season or even week to week. But uh, just as a guess, would you say that uh, Brandon Bolden and Jonas Gray are probably non-options as far as fantasy is concerned? Uh, Brandon Bolden, I can boldly say that. <laughs> the pun in there. Um, 
it's it's hard because he he likes to he rides a hot hand, likes to throw off the defenses. I think we saw Bolden have a, a hundred yard game one week, and everybody's like, oh, he must be the new top guy. And then we saw Jonas Gray with the two hundred yards and four touchdown game against Indianapolis. Um, I would say the only sure back I would take, um, unless they draft a, a running back high in the draft, is uh, Legarrette Blunt. I think he's the guy. He's going to be the two-down back. That's going to get a lot of carries. And he doesn't – granted, it doesn't mean that he's going to get a lot, but he's been able to do a lot with those carries. So I would say, you know, the only back I would own out of New England is, is LeGarrette Blunt. Okay. Well, beyond uh, Edelman, Gronk, and – LaFell, who I see just getting no love in mocks right now, is just surprising to me. Uh, who, who is the next option in this in this offense, and is there a is there a future option? Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people going after, um, you know, those those three, and then it, it's possible that they take a running back high. I'm sorry, a wide receiver high, and. Um, that is one of their needs, and you know, and it's it's a draft where there's a lot of depth in there. So, could there be a future option? I believe that there could be. Um, but um, after after Edelman, Gronk, and, and LaFell, who I believe, like you said, is not getting much uh, much love and respect as he should be. Um, I, I like Brian Timms a lot. I think he. He produced well in the limited time uh, that he was given, especially in the preseason. But I would most likely say if I had to pick that the next option in that offense would be someone that they draft. So that would be my answer. Do we? Do you see uh, maybe Timothy Wright stepping in, playing maybe just a little bit bigger role now that now that he's going to be there the whole off season? You know, a lot of people thought that when 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 Tim Wright was was traded uh, from the Bucks, that he was going to take over the new Aaron Hernandez role in that offense. Um, and he showed flashes at times, and then there were weeks that literally he wasn't even targeted at all. He wasn't looked at. He wasn't relied on. Um, I think it helps that he's going to be there for a full off season work with. I could see him getting a role in that offense. Uh, steady role. Um, in terms of fantasy, I wouldn't really count on him as more than a flyer, but in, in terms of when it comes to you know football itself, um, I could see him developing a role where he gets you know a few targets a week, and it could be another red zone threat, uh, which we've seen you know some of his targets last season were literally just in the red zone, and um, it's possible. But um, yeah, I could I, I think we'll see an, uh, an uptick in his production from his first, you know, hyphenated year, I guess you could say, in New England to uh, his second year. Uh, so the big piece missing there in New England will be the 340-pound Vincent Wolfwork. Um, That's it? I, I thought it was how, how does this – yeah, <laughs> I was being nice. But anyway, maybe it's – uh, how, how does 
they, how does New England replace this guy? Is, is is there is there somebody there? I know you took the the DT last year in the first round. He didn't really pan out due to injury. What what are your thoughts there on on what they do with with without Will Fork this year? Yeah, so this is that's a big hole, and, and you know Will Fork was getting up there in age, but he was still an elite run stopper, um, and he certainly was a big you know big wall there. Um, that surely will be missed. Um, I really think that a combination of uh, Dominic Easley, who's going to be back from injury finally and, and have a full off season to recover and hopefully be ready to take on a role uh, in the new offense. Uh, I'm sorry, defense. Um, but I do see them also picking a a, uh, a defensive tackle in uh, either the first or second round, as we've seen a lot being predicted. Um, so there's a lot of big bodies there. You could see somebody like uh, Carl Davis, uh, Xavier Cooper, Jordan Phillips, um, Grady Jarrett. Um, I do think they address that. I think it's one of their biggest needs. Um, so I do think that they'll need to look at somebody because right now their two top uh, defensive tackles are um, – uh, Saluga, I can't pronounce his name, uh, and uh, easily, hopefully. So I think it's an area that needs to be addressed. You know, they have solid pass rushers in Chandler Jones and, and Rob Ninkovich, and I think if they can, you know, I think that they will address it early, and I think that's who we'll see try to take his his role, his uh, try their best to replace him. Okay, uh, Nick. Any any thoughts there about uh, Will Fork and maybe what what his missing him will do to this defense? Um, well, do you think from a scheme wise, if they uh, change their scheme, maybe play a little bit more four three than we're used to seeing out of the Patriots? Um, yeah, I think it's possible. Um, you know, Will Fork was you know somebody that you planned around, especially on the defensive line. Um, and I could definitely see it. I, you know, they were able to, you know, grab Jabal Sheard from Cleveland this offseason who, you know, can play a multiple positions. He's an edge player. He can play outside linebacker. Um, and I think that's a piece that they're going to try and work in there and try and change their defensive scheme a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I could see that where they have two big bodies up front. They have Ninkovich and, and – uh, you know, Jones off the edge with, with Sheard um, on the outside with uh, Hightower and um, I can't remember off the top of my head. Hopefully Mayo, if he can actually produce anything. But, yeah, you could see them changing their their uh, their scheme a little bit, especially depending on what they do in the draft and what they're able to get. Okay. Yeah, our, our defensive guru here, Sean, Sean Kirby, you kind of echoes Nick's statements there with, possibly change into the four or three. So I guess you're looking at, uh, you know, two bodies replacing Will Fork, which is, you know, he's quite the big man, to put it nicely. Um, but he also doesn't think that uh, his absence is going to drastically affect Chandler Jones. I think if it's so uh, uh, he also threw in the name of Chris Jones as somebody that maybe steps in and plays a little bit bigger role with Will Fork gone. You know, I, Belichick's such a creative at the way he just changes his scheme uh, you know, due to his personality. You know, we always say people in his scheme do well, but I think he really really sees uh, strengths of his players and, and finds the best 
best things to do with them. So I don't, I don't think there's too many people worried necessarily. And like you said, Will Fork's getting up there in age. So, well, we've kind of already touched on it, Doug. But to what, what are, what are some of your thoughts on, on the draft and uh, kind of the free agency period? New England necessarily wasn't very active, but uh, what are your thoughts? There? Yeah, so it, it's, you know, I think the first thing you have to look at, it, which is pretty obvious, is the loss of Darrell Revis. He went back to the Jets, and, and you know, everything we've heard is is that, uh, you know, he, he took a – he just – the Patriots stopped after a certain amount, and the Jets were willing to surpass it. So I think that's the number one thing you have to look at in free agency. Um, I guess it's a loss rather than an addition. Um, I would say their biggest addition would be uh, Jabal Shear, like I said. Um, you know, it's, he, he helps – bring something to that defense. But um, in terms of, you know, who they grabbed, you know, they grabbed a couple of um, cornerbacks this offseason. They grabbed um, Briley Fletcher and um, uh, Robert McLean uh, from the uh, the Eagles and the, the Falcons, respectively. Um, and they're not really players you're going to put in there and, and be starters, hopefully. Um, so, you know, I think really think if it's possible to grab, you know, a cornerback that maybe drops like Marcus Peters, depending on how, you know, how he did uh, in terms of interviews and, and if he was able to convince these teams whether or not he, um, you know, the whole thing that he went through at, at Washington is behind him or was it really not as much of an issue as it played out to be. Um, I would certainly hope that they go and, and draft a cornerback high, if not try to you know, grab two. I would say. You know, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm not confident in their in their unit right now, but it could certainly be upgraded. It helps that they were able to re-sign Devin McCourty, um, who I think is probably the, the next biggest thing. Is uh, they were at least able to keep somebody. Um, and a lot of people were confused about you know the release of of Brandon Browner. And I think what people have to realize is the way that that secondary was. You know, with Darrell Revis. Um, being able to shut down one side of the field um, is that it gave Browner a chance to be physical, to be able to press um, and be right up in the face of a wide receiver. Um, and I think without Darrell Reeves, that's why they released him is because it just, it didn't fit, you know, without him there, that surety almost, uh, that guarantee, it, it sort of took away from it. So, you know, they, they, they released both their top cornerbacks. Well, they lost or released both their, their top cornerbacks. And I think that's something that they address early, um, along with defensive tackle. Uh, another position I hopefully they will go after is their uh, interior offensive line. Um, you know, it, they graded out as one of the worst teams in pass protection this past season. And that gets points to, you know, you know, Brady's getting up there in age, want to preserve him. So the best thing to do is, is shore up that offensive line. You know, you have Nate Solder in his last year of his rookie deal on on uh, on his blind side, and he's been all right. He's not worth the money he's getting, but he's been all right. And then we have Sebastian Vollmer on the other side, who's one of the best right tackles in the game. But when you go inside and you look at, um, you know, their guard positions, they lost um, – I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but they lost um, – Dan Connolly. I'm sorry. They lost Dan Connolly. Oh, sorry. They lost. Well, they lost Makins too. They lost Makins, um, and uh, they lost Connolly. But Connolly wasn't. He was more of a fan favorite than anything. You know, he actually was one of the worst statistically, you know, guards this season. So, 
I could see a guy like AJ Can or Lincoln Tomlinson or you know, somebody like that who you know, you're not gonna see a guard picked in the first round, at least a pure guard. So, you know, I've heard a lot of things about Brandon Sheriff being pushed inside, you know, where he could excel as a guard as opposed to a tackle. Um and he might be the first offensive lineman off the board. Um but I think in terms of pure guard, um I think AJ Can could be there in round two, which maybe they're able to get. Um you know, I think there's three primary needs, and I wrote this out yesterday, actually, for a piece with uh, NFL Greek, um, doing it for a friend of mine. Um, I think the three biggest needs, which I've already touched on, are cornerback, uh, interior offensive line, and uh, defensive tackle. So any combination of that, they have four four picks in the first three rounds, including a compensation pick, and there's going to be a lot of depth in that, in that uh, those middle rounds of the draft. So I think we'll get we'll see Belichick become creative, pick somebody under the radar as he's done in years past. Um, that could turn out to be somebody really great. That's just a diamond in the rough. Um, so I would say, I, be- I would, you know, I'm going to say I believe in Belichick, but um, I think, you know, defense is the primary thing here to look at, you know, fixing their, you know, their defensive tackle position after losing Will Fork and then their cornerback position after losing Browner and, and Revis and then hopefully be able to upgrade that offensive line as well. And then, you know, we we see that this wide receiver and and uh, running back class is, is very deep. So you could grab somebody elite that could be a difference maker, a playmaker. So I'm not as concerned about something like that. Um, so that's where I would say the three biggest needs are going into the draft. You know, the Patriots, it's not like they're losing any picks. And they could obviously draft, uh, trade down and have two picks in the second round, which is nothing we wouldn't we haven't seen before and nothing we'd be shocked by. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. But uh, I would say those are the biggest needs that they need to address going into the draft. Okay. Nick, Nick any questions there for uh, Doug before that, Uh Well, being the Super Bowl champion, you don't have a whole lot of real serious needs. I mean, you mentioned corner defensive tackle and interior offensive line, but given the fact that there's not the gaping holes that a lot of teams have and you have the four picks in the first three rounds, any chance do you think that they maybe trade up from that uh, 32nd overall pick? You know, I think it's – I don't want to rule it out. I don't remember the last time Bre- uh, Belichick's ever traded up in the first round. Um, but uh, perhaps there's somebody – you know, we've seen a lot of players come by uh, and visit the Patriots, you know, on a, on a professional workout visit that really aren't, you know, high profile. We haven't seen any, you know, top five picks or top five, you know, players or prospects uh, really come to visit. Um, do I think it's possible? Sure, anything's possible. Um, it would be un like especially coming off a Super Bowl win. Like you said, there's no gaping need. You know, um, that defense is, you know, the Patriots have been able to win with a bad defense. Not saying it's a bad defense now, but they've been able to win with a lot less. So... Just because they have those needs doesn't mean that they'll go and, and spend an early round pick or trade up to grab you know one of those elite prospects. But it could be possible. It, they could be someone that they really have their eye on, and they had nothing to lose. They're the Super Bowl champs, not like they're you know they're desperate to to win again, or they have to win, or something is going to happen. So I think it's possible. I think it's un Belichick like, but it, it's something that could be seen. I think we maybe lost Doug. Doug, you still there? Yeah, I'm, I'm oh, here. Doug, you still? Okay, sorry. We lost you there for one second. 
Uh, but anyway, I want to I want to thank you for joining us again. It's Doug uh, Doug Moore from Razzball. Uh, his uh, his name will be had in this write up tonight. So if you want to click on his name and go to go to his Twitter feed and give him a follow, I'm sure we all appreciate it. So Doug, thank you for joining us and, and have a great day. Thanks for having me. You guys have a great day as well. Okay, Nick. Let's uh, let's take a look at our monthly ranks. Um, those, those are up the you know officially right after we finished the podcast last time on the first. But uh, any 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 big thoughts there on uh, things that you were seeing and whatnot? And anything you maybe disagree with? Anything maybe too low, too high? Uh, well, we'll start out with quarterbacks. Uh, Drew Brees down three slots. He's now the quarterback number eight. I'd maybe even go lower. He just didn't look very good towards the end of last year and with his age. I'd probably go right around maybe 11 or 12. That's uh, in the range of like Tony Romo and Phillip Rivers. Uh, that's uh, As far as quarterbacks went, that was the one that stood out the most to me. Okay. Um, I didn't really – nothing really bothered me with the quarterbacks. Um so you would put him low, Breeze lower than Teddy Bridgewater, though? Yeah, just because of the age differences. I think Breeze sure. maybe has two years left if he's lucky of the elite production, and I don't even think we're going to see the type of numbers the next two years that we saw maybe the last three years. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Well, I, I again, think Alfred Morris is too low. He do bring up a good point by his uh, physical running style. He's down, He's at 18 right now. Um, I also think Joyce Bell's too low at 25, and um, Alex Ogletree at lead linebacker is ranked number seven. Um, I think uh, you know we have Bowman and Andre Levi above him right now, or Levy, whatever you want to say it. Um, I just I I like Ogletree. I think he's only going to get better. You know, linebacker is one of those positions where these guys can stay really solid. You know, you know, hundred tackle guys for a good a good chunk of years and. All these guys are super young, but with uh, you know with Levy missing Tullock all last year, maybe he, if you know, Tullock comes back and they you know add other weapons on the defense, maybe he's not that big tackle guy he really explored last year. And you know we just we just don't know what Navarro Bowman's going to bounce back. You know, I own him in a dynasty IDP league, so I'm hoping open for big things from him. But I'd certainly rather have Alex Ogletree at this point. Uh, Somebody that's right there where I think he should be is Jonathan Stewart. I'm glad the glad the DFW guys are not uh, not seeing all the hype that I'm seeing in mock drafts. I, I uh, the guy about running back number 29, I think is that's just about right. He's, I can't trust the 28 year guy who's been injured his whole career. Um, some people I think that are too high. Um, Doug Martin, number 19. I just. I don't know why we're still holding out hope for this guy. I mean, uh, maybe I could be wrong, Nick, but uh, we also have Bishop Sankey at number 23. Um, that just seems a little high for me. Uh, I'd maybe put him down by the general class. I don't necessarily think he should be above Joyke Bell. Obviously, people think there's a future there with Sankey, and, and I'm a dynasty owner of him too, and I, and I hope there is. I just need to see a lot more before I'm going to have him in the top 25. Uh, A.J. Green we have at number two. I... Andre Brown, excuse me, Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham are are down at like six and seven. I I think both of those guys are are my number two. Obviously, we don't know what Beckham's going to be able to do in year two, and teams are going to be a lot more ready for him. But you know, from what I'm seeing in mocks, those those are the top two receivers off the board, along there with Dez at number one. And I just I I AJ's not as young as he used to be, and he's had injuries, so. 
Um, I also think Jordan Matthews is uh, he's at number seventeen. You know, I've I've heard him say that he thinks he needs a, another receiver to complement. He's maybe not, you know, no, receiver number one material. I really like the guy, and I maybe like him more than he likes himself apparently. But I think seventeen is a little high. Um, obviously, things will change. Probably, I can see Philly grabbing some kind of wide receiver in the. Paul at number 22. I know he's only 26 years old, but we've seen him We've seen him go up and down in, in, in some years, and I don't know if he's going to repeat that. So, uh, repeat the nice year that he had last year, I should say. I don't like him at the defensive lineman number two uh, ahead of him. Uh, any, any other thoughts there on the, the monthly ranks? Uh, a couple guys that are uh, ranked kind of farther back. Uh, Josh Huff, who was formerly unranked, is now the wide receiver number 48. And especially if Philadelphia doesn't draft a receiver early, I think he'll be climbing even farther than that. Uh, a couple guys that have fallen really uh, big time is uh, Deron Carter. People were really high on the CFL prospect going to the Colts, but then after they signed uh, they signed Andre Johnson, his value really took a big hit there. He's down to number 62, dropped nine slots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, while we wait for Paul to call in, we had one more trade that we needed to get to before we had a whole lot from Dan and Doug there. Um, uh, why, don't, why don't we just go ahead and finish the trade analysis here? This was from DFW36. Somebody gave up Alan Robinson, who, incidentally, Nick, is, you know, me and Nick are in this really kind of weird dynasty format uh, where we don't, we're not able to do in season transactions. So we can't touch our team after they're drafted. Uh, and Allen Robinson actually went undrafted in our 12-team, 20-man roster. Uh, it's kind of interesting to see him right there with all the rookies. Another guy that went undrafted was Justin Forsett. So, I mean, he was obviously the big beneficiary to the whole Ray Rice situation. He was probably wasn't even going to be on the Ravens team if Ray Rice was was on that team to start the year. So, interesting interesting note there with a couple of players that uh, weren't necessarily thought highly of. I know some people here at DFW really liked Allen Robinson going into the year last year, but uh, some people, obviously, people in their league were down on him, but uh, Allen Robinson, why is the team with Jacksonville, was traded for DeMontre Moore, defensive end out of from the Giants, and also got a first-round pick from 2015. Uh, any, th- any thoughts there? Oh, I love the side that picked up Allen Robinson. Now, he's currently ranked the DFW's receiver number 25, and uh, anytime you're giving up a you know, basically an IDP defensive end, which their values can change so much from year to year, scheme to scheme, and uh, giving up so a defensive end and a late first round pick for the guy with that much upside there in Jacksonville, Allen Robinson, love that trade. Yeah, I I still worry about Allen Robinson's frame. I I know he had some decent decent times last year, and they have some. Some injury injury problems there with him and Marquise Lee, but I, I and I did say a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this division that I think Robinson eventually going to be the better receiver out of out of the three rookies they had there last year, uh, but I and I think Marquise Lee might be a, might be a better play this year, especially in PPR leagues. I think he's going to get the possession targets. Uh, Robinson's a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a home run hitter, so uh, I, I do like the trade though. I mean, you're getting. You're giving up a first-round pick, which I'm not crazy about, but it is the end of the first round, and uh, you're getting you're getting a, a solid a solid defensive end. So it's 
I think it's a, a, a fair trade, but I'll certainly lean Robinson with you as well. So, uh, we got our massively good friend, Paul Esden, on the phone here. So, in uh, I maybe didn't say that right. You're not massive, Paul. I just said you're a massively a good friend of ours. So, you're, I'm sure you're. I don't. I don't care what size you are. You're, you're just a good friend. I'll, I'll quit babbling. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Great friend. Sorry great for the, friend. Yeah. Sorry for the odd intro and my poor choice of words. That's um, okay. Anyway, I appreciate Paul winging is, it there. <laughs> Paul is the Jet beat, beat writer for True Love Sports, along with many other things. He's uh, kind of the, the the NFL, I don't know what you want to call yourself. Anyway, I'm going to start Guru, making, perhaps, stop making up, dare I say. Yeah, stop making up names for you. You also you also do the podcast thing over there, too. And, uh, yes. yes. Keeping, really, keeping really busy and keeping in school and whatnot, but just just a great great guy. So we are uh, uh, happy to have Paul aboard. So um, what – and we've talked to Paul before. So I said, like, like I said earlier, we're going to have a little fun with Paul. So, Paul, one of my yeah. favorite free agents this offseason was Marcus Gilchrist. How much did you dance when the Jets signed Gilchrist? And was – or did the, another signing make you dance a little bit more? Well, I did the dance for most of the free agent acquisitions for the New York Jets. And Marcus Gilchrist, yes, yes. I, I enjoy, I've enjoyed this offseason thoroughly, uh, especially coming from the uh, John Idzik regime where uh, they, they didn't spend anything. And as a Jets fan and uh, as a like beat writer for the team, I I had to take that, you know, you, you try to take this positive outlook. You try anyway. And uh, last year we had the low-risk – Highish reward signings they made, and most of them didn't pan out from the free agency perspective. So Marcus Gilchrist, first off, uh, I'm just really excited about this guy. Specifically, I mean, I, I did a dance for, again. My biggest dance since since you asked is Darrell Revis. Uh, that that was the ultimate. Okay, so this oh, yeah. is what happened. Uh, let's. I, I enjoy story time, but here, here's what happened. As soon as Revis chose the Pats, for some reason, or I, w- I was obviously very upset, but, but I said, you know what, let me get all this Revis stuff that's on clearance. So I, I went on a Revis clearance sale thing, and then when, I, when they knew they could come back, I wore my Darrell Revis Pro Bowl jersey to, to my Tuesday night class and then found out during the class that uh, Revis came back to the Jets. And I, I did a dance in front of my night class. So that, that was the literal dance. And my prayers were answered, you know. But but specifically, uh-huh. going back to Marcus Gilchrist, um, I just feel like I, I love the deal on multiple levels. First off, he signed a four-year, $22 million deal with the average salary of $5.5 million a year. But the key to me was that with this player, the Jets uh, beautifully could opt out of this deal at almost any point without suffering a huge financial ramifications. It was a very low risk and high reward and it's a year-by-year contract. If he plays to a level that we think he can, then it was a steal at the value that we got him. And with with this addition beyond the actual player coming in, I like the impact more that Calvin Pryor, our first-round pick from last year, the Louisville slugger, um, he goes back to his natural position of strong safety, and uh, he'll get to play in the box where he'll shine better, and he shined throughout his collegiate career. So I look forward to seeing him explode on the scene in 2015. He he is a really good sleeper. I don't know how bold I'm being by saying he's going to be a sleeper, going back to his more natural position. But 
especially with the uh, secondary additions with Revis aforementioned coming back from Marty, Buster Screen. Uh, I, I just feel like uh, this secondary is just went from the worst to possibly one of the best in the league. Yeah, and obviously, you know, Revis is a nice a nice piece. Uh, but, yeah, with Gilchrist and Pryor, you have two two young safeties uh, that have experience under the belt, and that's just a, just a dangerous thing. So, obviously, Revis has got his side of the field, and uh, we're going to have somebody knocking heads in the middle there. So, um, uh, Nick, any questions there about the Jets' defense? Um, no, I'll just add in that I agree with you 100% on Calvin Pryor. You know, moving from free safety where he struggled last year back to strong safety, I think he's going to be a great fit there. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Paul. Pryor is also just a gonna. I think you're going to see what Pryor does can help the run game too. I think it's going to be a. It's going to be really, really nice there. Who's going to? Who's going to be the leading tackler on this defense, Paul? Well, the leading tackler. I mean, this is a tough one. Certainly, uh, since we brought up the name Calvin Pryor, he's a leading candidate. He's going to be in the box. He's going to see a lot of tackles. Uh, I mean, he's going to be uh, collecting a lot of tackles, in my opinion. So I, I think he he is definitely a candidate. But for me, my prediction is uh, Demario Davis. Uh, I, I believe he's going to take that quantum leap this season. He's been the New York Jets' best-kept secret, I believe, in my opinion. Even though we brought back David Harris uh, on a nice three-year deal, uh, some people questioned uh, the amount of money we gave him. I believe it was a $21 million deal, somewhere in the range of giving him uh, $15 million guaranteed for for a linebacker who's uh, into his 30s. But I still see this torch uh, being passed, over the course of that three-year deal, but I believe that he, he he's a fast player, instinctive. I love his leadership qualities. When he was drafted and Rex Ryan said he had Ray Lewis leadership, I believe that phrase was a, a little too soon, obviously, to be making a, a rookie to Ray Lewis. But I think that from the leadership standpoint, he's been slowly coming along. He was a third-round pick uh, from Arkansas. So Demario Davis, for me, I, I think he's going to replace David Harris after he retires, and I just believe it's a nice transition to bring back David Harris, give Demario Davis, you know, time to assume that position. I believe he's going to be the the Mike linebacker for the next decade for the New York Jets. He's going to be he. Those two players, I believe, are are going to be in the thick of it for the leading tackler for Dane Green. Okay. Um, okay. Well, we have to we have to address it. Um, Geno Smith. Are we done here? It, absolutely not. Um, I'm a Geno supporter, and I'll go through all the facets here. I'm a, I'm a huge Geno supporter, but I'm not blind. Uh, everyone has seen the turnovers <laughs> and the mistakes he's made, clearly. I, I mean, uh, people like, okay, since we're, I'm not in denial here about the stats. I think no matter what way people spin it, he was a second-round pick. No matter where people thought he should have been selected, so I don't think he deserves to be thrown into the wolves as a second-round pick. I felt like the expectation should have been much lower him being a second-round pick, but being in New York, of course, they weren't. I think he's shown promise. The key is consistency. The perfect quarterback rating at the end of last season, uh, some people don't give it much merit. Excuse me. I, I don't think anyone can deny his talent. He can make all the throws. Again, it's consistency. Um 
I him saying the whole I I'm sure you guys heard it or saw it the the flashes of Pro Bowl quarterback. I mean, he just the laughing stock kind of thing. That that was a poor choice of words. I mean, he, like I said, he's had shining moments, but certainly it's just consistency. These multiple turnover games, like I, I don't know what the stat is, but it's like almost he he hasn't had more that. He hasn't had a game where he's had less than two interceptions. Like it's like five percent of the time, whatever it is. It, it's it's a terrible statistic. There's been a lot of uh, chatter uh, recently with the Jets possibly moving up to get a Mariota, or possibly even going all the way to the number one spot to get Winston. I'm not opposed to it. Again, I'm a Geno supporter. I feel like with the pieces that we've added, I feel like that will benefit Geno. Um, the Chan Gailey factor, perhaps. Um, but if we pulled the trigger, I uh, I would not be in the least bit disappointed uh, with with a Winston or Mariota coming into the fold, and then Fitzpatrick's recovering from the uh, the broken leg. So uh, it it's going to be interesting. And if they do the, pull the trigger, I'd rather them redshirt whatever that rookie is and let Gino or Fitz play it out for the starting gig. But I I don't think we're done here, quite. Okay, Nick, any any thoughts there on Mr. Geno Smith? Well, let's, let's say you're not able to land one of the top two quarterbacks in the draft. Are there any other uh, later-on quarterbacks that you think would be a good fit there in New York, guys like Hundley, Bryce Petty, or Garrett Grayson? Sure. Um, actually, I'm really a big Hundley fan. Um, also, we've brought in Bryce Petty. We've brought in all the uh, Grayson. We've brought in the guys for the visits. The only one we haven't yet is Winston. There's a report out there that uh, somehow our schedules aren't lining up. And, yes, it's very possible that, this is all just blown smoke. Getting the top two quarterbacks is going to require the Jets to move to the one and or not and <clears throat> the one or the two spot to get one of the top two quarterbacks. So I mean they're doing their due diligence, but the, the chances are very slim that that happens. But if it doesn't, I, I could see the Jets going for in the second round perhaps a Brett Hundley. I believe he'll be there. I think the only two quarterbacks that are going in the first round are Mariota and Winston, unless something shocking happens like. Jake Locker going at eight, or some of these surprise Christian Ponder at twelve to the Vikings a couple of years ago. Unless we <laughs> see some sort of like quarterback like scarcity of some sort, and then there's like some sort of rush on quarterbacks, which I don't foresee happening. I, I like Hunley. I like Hunley out of UCLA, and uh, Bryce Petty is apparently supposed to be this pro-ready prospect. I have my questions, but certainly on the second or third round, one of these guys could come in for the Jets. Okay. Um, moving on, what what are we thinking about the running back situation here? Obviously, you signed a lot of Powell. Um, Chris Ivory looked to maybe still be the number one, but now you brought in uh, Stephen Ridley. And I, I know some people are on the fence about Ridley. You know, he's been called the fumbler, whatever. But I, I think some people think this guy's still got a few years left in him. What do you, what do you think? It's going to be interesting. It's not the Rex Ryan ground and pound. When Todd Bowles was asked about the offensive philosophy going into the season, he said there's not going to be any ground and pound. There's not going to be a vertical passing attack. There's going to be a balanced offense. So from that standpoint, bringing in Ridley, I think, is more of a move to put the Jets in the best position to draft a best player available. And for me, that is the best way to draft. You, you get the best guy that you can instead of worrying about position. They've done that throughout free agency. Again, I, I was doing dances when they were bringing all these veteran guys in. I mean, it's fantastic. <clears throat> uh, the Bowen, the Vickersons, adding defensive line depth, bringing back Laker Duzable. Uh, 
and, and then this one with Steven Ridley. I mean, a couple of years ago, people forget he has like a 1,200-yard season. Sure, he's Captain Bumbalaya in his career, but I, I think as a uh, running back by committee piece, I think he can be effective. But ultimately, I think Chris Ivory is going to be the bell cap. <clears throat> Again, I told you maximum flexibility in the draft is basically what Ridley is. But the thing is, if we're in the second round and Melvin Gordon or Todd Gurley fall to the 39th, I believe is the pick the Jets have, it, it may not be. It, I think it's the fifth in the second round. I, I'm not sure. But if one of those top two running backs falls to the Jets in the second round, I believe they pull the trigger on the running back. I think that'd be interesting to get a back of that caliber in the second round. But right now, I think that Chris Ivory's the guy. And and again, another step that most people don't know is Bilal Powell. Uh, when Chris Ivory, I believe, was either his first year or second year, I believe it was the first. He was out with injuries, so Bilal Powell had to take the load, and he led the AFC in the rushing for the first several weeks of the season. He had like four or five hundred yards. He was like first or second in the AFC in rushing, so he can get it done. He just doesn't get a lot of spots to shine. But ultimately, it's going to be a running back by committee with Chris Ivory, I think, somewhere in the ballpark of 1,100 to 1,300 yards and seven to nine touchdowns, which could be, you know, he could be that kind of guy for the for the team. I, I think that's the highest he could reach. Okay. Uh, well, you got a you got a nice rookie piece there, a guy that I really liked last year and Jay Samaro at tight end. Can he be the receptive beast that he was in college? I think he can. Again, one of my favorite draft picks from last year. Um, he, he was a player that was high on my board. He was my number one rated tight end. Um, he was an all-pro rookie this year. John Idzik didn't do a lot of things right, but one of the things right was getting this guy out of Texas Tech in the second round, a magnificent move. We had a huge hole at tight end, and to get that in the second round, again, I, I like the second-round value. I, I think he has so much potential. I love the frame, the ungodly size, the six-foot-six body, huge hands. He's a red-zone target. And uh, the one thing he does have to work on, he, he was a reception beast in Texas Tech. I believe he had, like, uh, ungodly amount of catches each year. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't even thing, matter. It's ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, it was ridiculous. I, I just That's just what I remember. I'm like, wow, this guy can catch the football. Watching every game last year, he had a couple. He had a couple mistakes. I, I didn't like some of the drops. He had a lot of easy catches. But, I mean, mental mistakes, you know, you, you could attribute a lot of things to that. I mean, he's only 22 years old, so I think that has to be factored, and he has a lot of room to grow. I think, uh, again, this could be going out on a limb. I think he could be a, a 60 to a 75 catch guy next year with borderline 1,000 yards and somewhere in between uh, four to eight receiving touchdowns. I, these stats I'm, I'm just pulling out of nowhere, I suppose, uh, especially we're talking <laughs> football in April. But I, I think that he can really be that uh, uh, huge you got Marshall on the outside. you got Decker on the outside. you got Curley in the slot. Amaro down the seam, I, I think he could be a mismatch nightmare uh, for Jets' opponents all year long. All right. Well, well, after we let after we let you go, we're going to debate uh, Jason Morrow versus Charles Clay. So, uh, Nick, no, do you have any, you have any that, wis- no. you wisdom to impart us on Jason Morrow? Uh, well, you know, I'm really big on Jason Morrow personally. Uh, uh, my only concern about him is that he had uh, under 40% snap count as a rookie. Do you think there's any chance he starts this year over Jeff Cumberland, or is he still going to be just a passing down only type of player? I, I agree. I just think that Amaro needs to see more PT. It was kind of weird how they went about it because in I I went to the training camps and they kind of had Cumberland in, and then they had Amaro. They were like kind of like 
keeping him in and out. He had uh, drops in training camp, which which resulted in some of the uh, minimized uh, snap time. But I think he takes the role this year. I mean, I think with the new regime, they're going to give him the ball more. He didn't really get the ball out last year. I, I don't know what he ended up with. I think it was like... 50, 60 catches with a mix of Geno and Michael Vick at quarterback. So I can only imagine what he can do if we get a legitimate quarterback, uh, either in the draft or by trade. And I, I think he can he could be that guy, and I think he'll be the number one guy next year. Okay. Well, beyond, uh, obviously, uh, the Brandon Marshall trade, uh, maybe another dancing move for you. And uh, Eric, Eric Decker, who are we looking at as wide receiver three for the Jets? For me, you've got to look at a guy that's uh, that's been a little under the radar. Uh, Jeremy Curly Fries, I call him. He's coming off a fresh new contract. That was one of the first things that the new regime did was sign him to this four-year, $16 million deal. Some people looked at it a little weird because he hasn't really, you know, shown that he can be the guy. But in, in spot cluster, he was he's our number one re- the number three receiver. He's a perfect slot receiver. But in, in times during our receiver struggles, we haven't had a thousand yard receiver since two thousand seven. That makes that's that's what you want to know. What doesn't make me sleep at night and it keeps me in the fetal position and uh, holding my knees and crying like a baby. Not having a thousand yard receiver since two thousand seven. Brandon Marshall has had seven out of eight years a thousand yards or some ungodly thing. So I think um, another mismatch again with all the weapons that's been added. I think Jeremy Curley in his three year career he's had one hundred sixty six catches for over two thousand yards and seven touchdown grabs. Nothing really spectacular jumps out at you, but I think as a as a third piece here with Brandon Marshall on the outside. Decker back to his more co- comfortable number two role. Uh, Curley should be able to open up the middle of the field. He's been a possession receiver his whole career. He's another guy who could be looking at a career year this year. He's been the punt returner the past couple of years, and he hasn't had a return since, I believe, his rookie year against Buffalo. Uh, he's a dynamic player, and he's the do-it-all kind of guy. We saw him throw the ball last year. I think he could have a nice season. Just remember the name Jeremy Curley, a former high school quarterback. I think this is a career year for Jeremy Curley at the number three spot. Depending on what we do in the draft, there, there's definitely the possibility of uh, Amari Cooper or Kevin White at six. Okay, yeah, I'm kind of quietly, very quietly, a Jeremy Curley fan. Uh, but and I see what you mean. I you see the athleticism there and with him back moving back to the slot it makes a lot of sense and uh, hopefully they can get a get a slinger there and like you said maybe have an, at least a guy that's a threat for a thousand yards can help even Geno Smith out so um any any draft or free agency thoughts I know we've touched on the draft but what uh and we've kind of touched on free agency too but is there is there like a a, a one one or two priorities that you see coming out of this draft <laughs> Sure, uh, just kind of an overview of a few things. So free agency, I, I'd just like to reiterate, reiterate the fantastic job that I believe GM McCagnan has done so far. Again, turning the worst secondary into one of the best, adding the depth on both sides of the football, on the offensive line especially has been a problem the last couple of years, bringing in Brewer from the Giants, Willie Cologne back. I, I told you about the defensive line depth we've brought in. And I think New York Jets' number one need headed into free agency, besides the obvious quarterback, was getting a legitimate number one receiver. My eyes were set on Randall Cobb, Demarius Thomas, Des Bryant maybe, but all those guys decided to retain 
uh, remain with their respective ball clubs, you know, the franchise tag and whatnot, and then uh, Randall Cobb just deciding to stay. So McCagnan goes the trade route, the unusual route, but again, I wrote an article about it, how the Jets have traded in for a lot of receivers within the last several years. I, I feel like this one can pan out. He's arguably a top five receiver, definitely a top six or seven receiver. And the Todd Bowles connection was huge with their time in Miami together. So that, for me, was huge, getting that number one receiver. I- I'm still kind of shocked by it that we actually have Randy Marshall on the team. Like that's that's hard to, uh, you know, kind of put to words. So that's great. And, again, uh, we, uh, your partner in crime there talked about the unlikelihood of the Jets launching the one or two. So if they stay at six, uh, the missing piece for me on the Jets' defense uh, is a pass rusher a pure outside linebacker pass rusher that can get after the quarterback. And if we can get that, this Jets defense can be the best defense in the league. So for me, a couple guys to look at, my favorite pass rusher is Vic Beasley. I think he has all the moves. He could step right in and be the double-digit guy. I, 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 I watch the tape. I love the guy. I love his, his moves. Uh, I just think right now the Jets defense is top three on paper. With this addition, again, I think they could be the best defense in the league. I did see Mel Kuyper Jr.'s latest mock draft, which had us taking Brandon Sheriff with the sixth overall pick. And I don't think it's a bad selection player-wise, but I, I, in terms of best player available, I don't even think it's close. I, don't, I, don't, I think Sheriff is a borderline top 10 BPA best player available. I don't think there's any elite linemen this year. I, it's not that the Jets can't use a guard, but I could see it. The Jets would have to trade back a couple of spots for me to take Brandon Sheriff there. Again, I, I briefly mentioned Amari Cooper and Kevin White at six. If we're going best player available, I don't see why you can't take one of those blue-chip prospects right there. Again, and to be exact, we haven't had a first-round pick wide receiver since 2001 with Santana Moss. So wow. to answer the question earlier, yeah, yeah, I know. Well, the, like these receiver t- statistics are really depressing, really depressing. So I, I wouldn't be opposed to a Kevin White coming in or an Amari Cooper to be that third guy to answer the question earlier. But I think arguably the Jets have the best receiving core in the AFC East. I mean, Buffalo has Sammy Watkins, Harvin, and Wood, so they're they're up there. But I'd say the Jets are the most proven. Marshall, top six, seven receiver. Decker, a nice number two. Uh, I think that can only help the Jets' chances this season. Yeah, they certainly have some pieces in place, too. And I, I, for whatever reason, keep gaining uh, friends who are Jets fans. And I know I know that a lot of them are in the same boat there with you with, uh, and Vic Beasley. I think that'd be, a, that'd be a, nice, a nice pick for you, and just hopefully that he is still, still available there. So. Well, Paul, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Again, it's Paul Esden. TrueLoveSports.com. Uh, Paul and JT and Mark over there at True Love do some great work. So make sure you guys check them out, and you can follow Paul on Twitter too by clicking on his name here in the podcast right up tonight. So thank you for joining us, Paul, and have a great day. Yeah, thanks Move for on to your next on, interview. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> on to the next interview. But if you guys ever want to have me on again, I- I'd love it. You guys, you guys are great. Cool. Thank you, Paul, and have, have a great day. Okay, Nick, uh, we still have a whole lot to get to, but uh, uh, Paul is great, and we always have love having him on. But first, we do something every week that we like to call a Dynasty Dilemma. We pick a couple players and just kind of pit them against each other. I think I think we should change it up next week, Nick, and possibly do like a, uh, a 
different position against each other. But uh, let's just take a second. Dynasty Dilemma, which you can go to DynastyFootballWarehouse.com right now and vote on it. But don't vote yet. Listen to see what we have to say. It's Charles Clay versus uh, the aforementioned Jace Amaro. Nick, it was your turn to choose first. So you get to go first. What do you got for us? Well, I took Jace Amaro. And at first glance, uh, Charles Clay appears to have the edge. You know, Amaro in his rookie season, uh, 38 catches, 345 yards, and two touchdowns. Whereas Clay last year had uh, 38 catches, or 58 catches, sorry, 600 yards and three scores. And the year before, 69 catches, 750 yards and six scores. So Clay's definitely more established in the NFL. Uh, Neither of these players really has a particularly favorable situation at quarterback. You know, Clay in Buffalo has Matt Castle and E.J. Manuel. Jay Samaro has Geno Smith and Ryan Fitzpatrick with the Jets. But I think the Jets are, you know, possible to – uh, to draft a quarterback, so I'd say Amaro might have a slight edge there just because of the uncertainty. Uh, you know, and again, Amaro's, of course, younger, 23 this year, whereas Clay will be 26. But most importantly, I, I expect the Jets to throw more than I think Buffalo will, meaning there's going to be more opportunities for Amaro. Uh, the new Buffalo head coach, Rex Ryan, already said they'll run LaShawn McCoy in every down if they can. Plus, they've already got all the receivers, Sammy Watkins stretching the field, uh, Percy Harvin and the ageless Fred Jackson catching underneath routes. Uh, you know, I could see Clay being the odd man out on the stat sheet a lot of weeks. But in New York, uh, you know, you got the running backs were decent, but they don't really scare anybody like Shady McCoy does. And after wide receivers Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall, I think Amaro could be the next most talented pass catcher. You know, Clay could be the all-around better tight end, but I think Amaro's the better receiver. And you, look, you mentioned his stats in college earlier, 106 catches for 1,350 yards and seven scores his final year at Texas Tech. You know, with the two receivers attracting attention on the outside, I think Amaro could just drive in the middle of the field. Well, I, like I said, I own Amaro in a dynasty, so I, ho- I hope you're right. But let's look at Charles Clay. Uh, I don't think a lot of people realize this guy is, he's got four years in the league, but he's only 26 years old. Uh, originally a sixth-round pick out of Tulsa in 2011 by Miami. I was actually drafted as a fullback, kind of played fullback running back, um, 6'3", 245, so much similar to uh, Marcel Reese, who does the, the fullback tight end thing there in Oakland as well. I think Clay's probably a little bit faster uh, than Reese. but So here we have a really athletic tight end. There's not a lot of running backs that convert to this type of position um, besides him and, obviously, Reese. But, uh, he, you know, he really earned himself a role due to injury in 2013 with Miami and ended up having 69 receptions, 759 yards, and six touchdowns. I think you already went there with the stats, Nick. But I that that was huge for me. Because he has the running back background, he also played a little fullback. I think he had a rushing touchdown as well that year. So that 2013, he um he was a very big contributor. Now, last year he had a bit of a drawback. He played 50, he only got 59 balls, 605 yards, and three touchdowns. 
Uh, he did miss two, only miss two games, but the guy was hurt all season long last year. He still put up 50 receptions and over 500 yards. That was impressive for me because he really was hurt. Um, in 2013, he played 83% of the snaps. That number dipped to 57 last year uh, due to injury problems. Now, Clay has a new team, a new regime in Buffalo, might even start slow. So this is a guy that if you see people dropping him right away in the season – I remember a lot of people not even drafting this guy last year, which surprised the hell out of me, but he certainly had his problems last year. Uh, I think he's a, he's a nice uh, nice person to take a flyer on. A lot of mouths to feed there in Buffalo. McCoy, F. Jacks, Watkins, Woods, Harvin, like you said there, Nick. Uh, but I also think that means Clay's going to be open. Uh, you know, he might be the forgotten man sometimes, but he's going to be open, and especially uh, in the red zone. He's going to see single coverage. Probably a weak side linebacker, maybe a, a dime back that's five eight, five eight, five nine. Obviously, depending on the team, I I, I think that's going to be where he makes his money. I think he could be a Dwayne Allen type of player this year, where he just catches that one, you know, that one touchdown per game or what? Not not per game, but maybe ten touchdowns as as a as kind of a, a, a maybe a forgotten lost option, but a, certainly a red zone threat. Not a huge vert guy, but I just think he's going to be the forgotten man. Uh, whether it's EJ Manuel or Matt Castle, uh, he, we obviously have a, a very – he has a lot of athletic ability at the tight end position, which is something Buffalo has not had in a long time. I know there's new coaching staff, new regime there, like I said, but uh, they, they just haven't had that type of player. And I think this Buffalo team, uh, like Nick said, is probably going to be running the football more, but I think they're obviously a little bit more of a contender than the Jets. So there's going to be more of an opportunity for them to explore every single offensive avenue they uh, they have in order to be successful. So I think that's going to be advantage Clay this year moving forward. Any any rebuttal there, Nick? Uh, well, one more one more point I'll make. Uh, it's kind of a light lighter point, but recently there's an article on the DFW website about a uh, fantasy football ethics, and one of the points that was uh, debated in the article was whether or not it's okay to, uh, you know, take advantage of another another team's owner in the fact that they might overpay for one of their players from their teams. And I will say there are a lot more Jets fans out there than Bills fans. So if you happen to have a few Jets fans in your league, you might uh, Amaro might be a little more valuable as far as trade bait goes. Um, yeah, and apparently I totally agree with that with you there. And I'm very new to DFW 36, but apparently everybody knows I'm a Raiders fan because I got some Michael Crabtree offers like the second after they signed him, and they were <laughs> ridiculous. But anyway, uh, moving on to uh, the Buffalo Bills, uh, as we continue here with the AFC East, um, well, LaShawn McCoy, he's going to get his 300 carries. What's what's, what's left for F-Jacks there, Dick? Well, you know, I do think McCoy's going to get his 300 carries. He's had over 300 the last two years in Philadelphia, and Rex Ryan always, I think, is one of the running back of McCoy's caliber. Uh, he, I would say he's definitely the number three running back behind uh, Lacey and Bell. Uh, Fred Jackson, he's 34 years old. Right now he's the DFW running back number 71, but I think he could still be a pretty sneaky play last, uh, this year, especially in PPR formats. Uh, remember, last year he had 90 targets, 66 carries, and 500 yards in the passing game. All of those were career highs. So I think there's still some work left to be seen from Fred Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I agree with you there. I, I, I love that, Jack, so I'm just not necessarily a person to talk about him, I don't think. But, uh, you know, 
McCoy is going to be their bell cow. That is obvious. But there's going to be a sense to protect him, I think, especially maybe like on those third third and longs and, uh, and you know, maybe even like third and beyond, you know, two yards or whatever. So I think you're going to see Jackson certainly get his his four to eight looks per game depending on the situation. So, uh, you know, he's certainly a guy that's going to fall in drafts. And if you're looking for depth last couple rounds and you, and you think you're crazy for taking a 34-year-old running back, whatever, uh, you're not. This, this guy produces. Don't don't uh, don't let anybody dissuade you. This guy this guy can do something. And uh, if if McCoy was to get hurt, Jackson obviously is a, is a hell of a handcuff. Um, and what figures to be a run heavy attack? Nick Sammy Watkins is obviously wide receiver number one. How much dynasty to value does Robert Woods hold? I know they got Harvin as well, but Robert Woods is a guy that I really like. I know it's a run heavy offense, but I think Woods is. is certainly a quality player. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I agree with you. You know, right now Woods is ranked uh, our receiver number 76 behind Watkins, who's number 12, and Harvin at number 24. It is a really tough question because, like you, I I really like Woods as a player. He's only 23 years old this year. All his stats went up in year two. He had 65 catches, almost 700 yards, and five scores last year. But like we talked about a little bit with Charles Clay, there's so many mouths to feed on this offense. Uh, He likely won't have big numbers this year. I will say, though, if I had to pick Woods or Harvin based on their average ADP, uh, Harvin in the eighth round or Woods in the sixteenth. I'd probably take Woods. I, I'm not a big Percy Harvin guy. Mm, well, and you know some of these thirty round IDP ones that we've been doing, I've seen Woods. I've seen Woods out there in the twenty eighth round. Um, and remember, I'm th- pretty sure Harvin only signed a one year deal. So if you can buy low on Woods right now, uh, I, th- I think it's I think it's definitely worth it. And I mean buy low, just certainly certainly give it a shot. You're getting a young receiver. Who's, I, I believe if they can keep him next to Sammy Watkins, it's going to develop into something, something really nice down the future, especially if they get a guy that can th- get the ball downfield vertically in the quarterback position. Um, from what I read, and I really tried to be prepared for this podcast this week since we've had so much extra time, it seems like Buffalo is really set on giving EJ one more shot. Matt Castle is just insurance. I don't know why trade two picks for an insurance policy that that old as Matt Castle. Do do we believe in either one of these guys, Nick? No, I don't think so. I mean, you look at Castle, he's 33 years old, 9-17 and 17 as a starter over the last four seasons. I think I wouldn't be shocked at all if they end up going back and forth between Castle and E.J. Manuel this year. And, you know, remember, for all E.J. Manuel's flaws, Castle actually threw interceptions at a far higher rate than the youngster did last year, 5.6% to only 2.3%. So it's not like Manuel was just turning the ball over left and right. Yeah. Very true. I think they had a, a definite game plan for him, a conservative game plan for him, and it sounds like that might continue, um, and hopefully that will open things up for him too, especially with hopefully Sammy being a little more comfortable, hopefully fully healthy at the start of the year. That was something that, that hindered this team right away, even though they won some games right away. Um, I would really like to see just let them sit out and say EJ's our quarterback. Just let him play this year. I mean, unless they're like, you know, four and ten, just let him play and just see what you have. I think we just need – you need to see that. I mean, I know he wasn't 
drafted by this regime. I mean, look at what happened to this this organization after they drafted DJ and Robert Woods, for that matter. They lost their owner. I mean, tra- tragic that he you know he passed away. Now they now they've gone through a whole new set of coaching coaching staff. I mean, this is this is he's very far removed from what's in place now in Buffalo, but he, I don't think they. Where I don't think they're in, in line to take another quarterback. They're not going to trade up to take one of these top two, and I think they really just need to give it a go. Uh, with EJ and the Castle's obviously a competent backup, so I think I think they'll be all right there. Um, the Bills are really deep last season at uh, in, in the defense, Nick. What? But but who's left for IDP support? It seems like they've had a lot of a lot of moves. Obviously, Alonzo gone. He was gone too, I believe. Who's left for IDP support here in, in Buffalo? Well, the guy with the most upside likely is the young linebacker uh, Preston Brown. He played well enough as a rookie last year that the team felt comfortable uh, trading away the very talented Kiko Alonzo. Uh, Brown had 109 total tackles last year. Now they're switching from a 4-3 to a 3-4 defense, so that means that some of their guys like Mario Williams and Jerry Hughes could possibly switch to linebacker, and that would definitely hurt the value of those guys. Yeah, very, uh, very good point there. Um, our IDP whisperer Sean uh, also brought up those names, and uh, Nigel, Nigel Bradham as well could be uh, is perhaps got the more secure position. So, you know, this is a team that we obviously with Rex Ryan there and already being very good at defense. We I think the people a lot of people have confidence in and, and probably using them as a team defense. But there's some certainly some IDP options. It's 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 going to be. Uh, Branham and and Brown. I think Brown played way over his head last year, and I think a lot of people were excited about him. So those are certainly people that I would grab there. Um, you don't you don't know about the, about the rest of the guys. It's maybe take a take a wait and see approach on those guys because they're not going to be huge high IDP draft picks. So um, let's move on to questions from the forum there, Nick. Actually, let's. Uh, I'm sorry. Drafting free agency thoughts for Buffalo. What what do you think there is a uh, number one priority is there? Well, they don't have a first-round pick that uh, they gave up in the Sammy Watkins trade last year, so their first pick isn't until the number 50 overall selection. You know, do they like any of the quarterbacks that are possibly going to be there, Brent Hundley or Bryce Petty? Uh, if not, I think they probably go either offensive line or secondary. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's hard to tell what the number one priority is. Obviously, everybody can use an offensive lineman, and maybe that would help. Help EJ too. Um, the secondary that it's it is getting getting a little old, so I wouldn't be surprised to see them take a take a cornerback. But uh, this is it's going to be an interesting team to watch. I think Rex is going to be uh, people are going to be high on him and trying to see if what he can get out of out of this team. With like I said, with them already being a, a solid defensive unit, though. Um, so moving on to questions from the four. What Russell Wilson is undervalued. He's getting dragged. Is he undervalued? Getting drafted uh, in the fifth round in a lot of startups. Uh, if it's Luck or Wilson going, you know, the if it's Luck and Wilson, who's getting drafted too high, low first or high second? Um, this is from Dobby. He writes, uh, personally, I I don't I don't think Luck and Rogers are worth are getting drafted too high, but I think Wilson is getting drafted too far down. He's clearly my number three, um, and I think he's going to produce the same numbers as the other two on a weekly basis. He's young. He has character. 
always seems to say the right things. Now he's got uh now he's got Jimmy Graham. Uh doesn't didn't really bother uh, didn't really bother me at, as someone who acquired Jimmy Graham the, the week the week prior to that trade, obviously. It's nice. Uh but it's and it's not a knock on knock on luck or Rogers, but who but but shouldn't Wilson be in that group at as the number three, what do you think? Certainly in dynasty startups, I think he's probably the number three. But what do you think there? Yeah, I agree, and it's reflected in uh, his ADP in the DFW website. He is the number three uh, quarterback going off the boards, but it's not until right around round five. Uh, maybe you bump him up a little bit, but there's just so little difference between uh, Russell Wilson, Cam Newton, and Matt Ryan that I I, I think it'd be tough to to take him in like the third round. I, I, that'd be that'd be a stretch for me. Yeah, and uh some of the our our DFW, some it's interestingly enough, Dan has Dan I think and uh Jeff have Cam Newton number three while uh Bill has him number five. So it's certainly some some split things there. But uh the acquisition of Jimmy Graham, where he's not obviously the player he was two years ago, I think that's certainly an intriguing thing to watch, and it's going to hopefully open some some things up there down the road for the rest of his offense. Um, I am curious to see uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Community's opinion on Teddy Bridgewater. He's currently ranked number eight, and we talked about him a little bit earlier with Breeze. Uh, he's going off the board after Breeze and Roethlisberger, the most recent AD, startup ADP. Is that too high or too low? What do you think, Terry? Um, I think that might be a little bit too high, and I think that's been uh, changed actually on our ADP list right now. I think they've got him down to 10, which I think is pretty much right for him. You know, right ahead of Tom Brady and Ryan Tannehill, but still behind guys like Matt Stafford, Peyton Manning, uh, of course, behind uh, Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, so maybe a little bit too high if it was ranked eight. Not a whole lot. Uh, yeah, I tend to agree. I think he's still a work in progress. I think you're going to see a nice bump in production from him this year, but you know, don't expect that he's going to explode for 4,500 yards and 35 touchdowns. I don't think that's that's a possibility. Um, you know, certainly, certainly over three and you know 20, 25 touchdowns. I think is 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 not out of out of the realm of possibility for Bridgewater. I think he's going to take a couple more years before he becomes you know that that elite top five guy. I think he does have that potential though. So uh, I, I I believe in him, and obviously with uh, a dynasty startup. He he's going to tend to be a little overvalued, um, but uh, I, I you want to get that guy that's going to be that stud in two years. So I I think that's you know eight maybe too high ten ten maybe right on. Um, you know it, I with uh, with Breeze right there and Bridgewater. It's it, it seems weird to take Bridgewater over Breeze, but if if it's a dynasty and you want to plan for the future, I I, I would have no problem making the move to Bridgewater over Breeze. Uh, Roethlisberger, another question. I, re- I really like Big Ben. He's got a couple hell of a receiver core right now. So that's, that's a hard call. Um, last question here, Nick. What is Calvin Benjamin's trade value? I made an initial offer giving away Benjamin for 1.3 and a second-round pick next year. I'm stacked at wide receiver, but I, so I have some wiggle room. I've got Jordan Matthews. Julio Jones and Des Bryant. 
that I ask for too much. What does everybody else think Kelvin Benjamin's value is right now? What are your thoughts there, Nick? I think that's right around fair value for him. Uh, I don't think you're going to get the that high of a first round pick for him, but it's worth a trade or worth an offer anyway. And it wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't accept much less for Benjamin right now. Really, he's got a, lot, a pretty bright future there. Especially if uh, Carolina ends up not drafting another receiver, uh, then he's going to be a target machine again this year. Yeah, um, that's probably like you said the max that you're going to get for him. Um, and it's it's a it's a weird thing, especially like with the dynasty format. Um, you know what. What is Benjamin going to do year two? Is there going to be that sophomore curse? Is there going to be somebody else there that's dynamic that's going to take targets away from him? I was a little low on Bridgewater, or excuse me, a little low on Benjamin last year, and uh, I think kind of by default he became the number one option there just because of his his size and athletic ability and the fact that they didn't want to bring in anybody else besides you know Greg Olson to to run with him there, but. Uh, I I think it's it's if it's somebody that you can trade high on because you don't think he's going to continue to do what he did last year. I think that's that's probably probably a safe bet to trade him, especially if you're going to get that kind of value on him. But we still have a young quarterback and a young offense, and if they ever get some semblance of a running game, I think that's going to be a nice. He, Benjamin could be a nice a nice player moving forward. Obviously, teams are going to be more ready for him this year, and uh, there's going to be a lot of. Uh, I think he's going to see a lot of. Uh, offensive chipping at the offensive line. He's going to see a lot of contact from DBs trying to slow him down or throw him off his route. And, uh, people will be making adjustments, maybe using some, some bigger people against him, maybe checking some people's uh, vert and see how they can uh, defense him a little bit better. So I think he's – I don't know if he's going to produce the same numbers year in, year out that he did as a rookie. Uh, would I be surprised if he takes a couple steps back? Not at all because I think like, the team is going to be a lot – more prepared for him this time around. Uh, moving on to the Miami Dolphins, Nick. Uh, last team here, and we're probably going to end it there because we're running a little short on time. Um, uh, okay, uh, the Finns have just dismantled their receiving core with only leaving only Jarvis Landry left, who was essentially the third option last year. Um, how, how do we how do we make sense of Tannehill's new weaponry? I mean, obviously, Stills has been brought in. Cameron, George, George, excuse me, Jordan Cameron's been brought in. How, how do we make sense of this thing? Well, first off, I love Jarvis Landry. Uh, he had nine or more targets in five of the last six games last year. Ended up with 84 catches, 750 yards, and five scores. He and Ryan Tannehill showed really good chemistry, especially towards the end of the year. The guy's a PPR machine. But it gets kind of sketchy behind him. You know, uh, Landry's usually the slot guy. So on paper right now, Kenny Stills and Richard Matthews are expected to start outside. Uh, you know, Matthews is his fourth year in Miami. His career high was 41 catches, 448 yards, and two scores. Scores in 2013, the six foot 212, but nothing really exciting there. Kenny Stills uh, last year in his second year in New Orleans had 63 catches for 930 yards and three scores. Six foot one, 194. Uh, he's a really good deep threat, but I don't know if he's good enough all around receiver to be relied upon as an every down player like they're apparently planning on doing right now. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they added somebody in the first two, three rounds of the draft at receiver. Yeah, they also, you know, they lost Hartline, they traded Wallace. Um, 
kind of a kind of a big overhaul there. But I what so adding adding a third option is certainly not out of the realm of possibility. I I really like Jarvis Landry, and I think he's going to be a quality player for them. Um, I think they're going to really expect a lot out of Stills, and I think you're going to see them try to try to feed him early because I think he. He has a nice piece. I don't know if either one of those guys are a typical possession receiver, which does does worry me a little bit. And we all know Jordan uh, Jordan Cameron's uh, injury history, especially with concussions. So they they certainly have some some questions there. I was a little surprised by all the moves they made to really overhaul this thing, uh, considering they had a nice kind of kind of young. Not young core. Obviously, they got rid of two older receivers, but just a, a nice, reliable target. I think in Mike Wallace for Tannehill. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all works out there. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Nick, that you're a big Lamar Miller fan. Can he ever be the bell cow? Can he? And can this be the year? It seems like they're always bringing in a running back to make him sweat. Is, is this the year they just say, "All right, you're you're our guy. Let's let's do this." I really think it is. You know, I think he's always had the talent. It took him a little while to show it. But he, uh, in his third year last year, broke the 1,000-yard mark for the first time, had eight touchdowns and 5.1 yards per carry. He's only going to be 24 this year. Uh, Right now he's the DFW running back number 15. I'd probably go a little bit higher, provided they don't add anybody else. It is possible they could add somebody in the draft. Uh, They did – no, Sean Moreno's gone. Daniel Thomas is finally gone. Uh, so, you know, it's possible that they could add somebody in the first few rounds. But if they wait until sixth, seventh round to draft another running back, then I would definitely trust Lamar Miller this year. Yeah, uh, I have him in a dynasty league, so I, I'm hoping the best for him. But, uh, yeah, this is this could be the year for him, I think, where he has the, the season high and whatnot. Because I, I, I'd... Like you said, he's, it's taken him a while to adjust, but this and it's maybe not the most conventional route for uh, a running back. But I I do like him. So uh, moving to the defensive side of the ball, there, Nick, uh, what uh, IDP or benefits the most from the acquisition of Mister Damakin Sue? Well, you know, Cameron Wake and uh, Vernon are the easy answers, but I'm going to go a little deeper. Uh, Former number three overall pick in 2013, Deion Jordan, dealt with injuries in year one and was suspended last year. This guy's a physical freak. Yeah, he's been a bust so far, but if he can figure it out and actually get on the field, you know, he never played even 50% of the snaps in one game last year. I think uh, he could end up surprising and finally end up being the player that they hoped he would be when they took him. Okay. Um, you know, there's been some trade rumors with him too. Um, you know, Sue is not a, a 15 that guy, but you know, Wake and uh, uh, Oliver Vernon is or Vernon Oliver is. Um, sorry, uh, but I think those those two defensive ends are going to be certainly be a uh, a lot more affected by by Sue being there. Um, I do like the Deion Jordan pick. You know, he's not necessarily been an IDP option. But uh, if they can open holes for him to really put pressure on the quarterback, because like you said, he's got the athleticism. Uh, he's got the speed, certainly. Um, the one thing I worry about is the consistency with him. So, uh, But uh, Oliver Oliver Vernon, uh, like Sean, our buddy Sean says, he's kind of a sneaky play because he's, he's younger and probably going to be putting up Cameron Wake-type numbers over the next couple of years, especially with – with Sue there, so um, uh, moving on to the draft there for the Dolphins, Nick. What, what do you think of their kind of their uh, 
their top priorities moving in here? Well, just one more uh, quick thought on Deion Jordan. He's not somebody you actually want to like touch in an IDP startup draft right now. Just somebody to keep your eye on in the future. But going ahead with the Dolphins offseason draft needs, uh, I, I think you know wide receiver. If Devontae Parker were to somehow somehow fall to number fourteen, then he would be the obvious choice. Uh, if he's not there, then maybe another receiver, possibly a guard. Uh, if they don't believe in Deion Jordan, or if they trade him, then they could go with a pass rusher or maybe even a running back. Who knows? Okay. Um, yeah, you know, it is It is like we have the confidence, like you said earlier, with Lamar Miller, but uh, with this class being so deep and um, not, you know, there's there seems to be a nice a nice handful of guys that are between the tackles guys, a nice handful, you know, that are projected as, you know, third down, kind of off-tackle given type of guys. Um, you know, Miller, is, Miller probably has both those capabilities to be a three-down back, but it, it, with this draft being so deep at running back, it'd be nice to maybe see, to see them add an, an extra piece, you know, a guy like David Cobb out of Minnesota later on. Um, even uh, even TJ Yeldon, who a lot of people are a big, a bigger on than me, but uh, I think Yeldon's kind of the same type of player as Miller, maybe a little more upright runner than Miller. So uh, certainly a, certain, not, a bad, not a bad option there. I, I like the running back thing. We do see a lot of uh, DBs going to this team, a lot of corners going to this team and mock drafts is what I'm seeing. So uh, they obviously have some pieces. Their offensive line is not, you know, it's still, it's still in need like every offensive line is. So, uh, but as far as top prior, priority, I, I, I think a, another, another player on defense and if they don't think they can get the, the pass rushing uh, thing out of Dion Jordan, maybe they can, you know, there's a lot of, not necessarily IDP options in this draft for them, but there's a lot of edge rushers in this draft that a lot of people are excited about for different reasons. So we'll we'll see what they see what they do. Um, I, for some reason, I feel like they're the team that's going to make a trade in this thing. And I don't know what they're going to get out of it if they're trading up or trading down, but I just have the feeling that they are going to be uh, doing a trade. So um, that's all that's all we have for you today. Uh, we kind of ran short on time here, Nick. So we'll get to the things that we missed next week uh but uh i want to thank everybody for joining us this is the dynasty pulse podcast i'm joshua johnson he is nick wagner thank our guest uh dynasty dan hines always for stopping by uh, paul Esden from true love sports and doug moore from Brassball. make sure you check us out next week as we have mark t wilson also of truelovesports.com and luis Toronto jr from gmenhq.com as we get into the NFC East and we'll see what Nick thinks about his Washington Redskins uh, moving into the future there. Nick, uh, any closing thoughts? Uh, spoiler alert, I'm not very optimistic on the skins. <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens next week. Maybe something will totally change his mind. Maybe they'll make a trade or maybe maybe the Mariota noise will get loud for Washington. That's what I saw happen in the mock draft this morning. But anyway, uh, we'll talk to you next week on the Dynasty Pulse. Uh, make sure you tune in next Tuesday as me and Bill are going to be going at it, the wide receivers, a little wide receiver showcase since we did give them justice yesterday. Make sure you go back and listen to that too. We packed a lot of information in two hours, just like we did today. So uh, hopefully you have a good night and a good week, and we will talk to you next week, Nick. Sounds good, Josh.
Post the file. 69. Offer. Who's giving them the business? 